Today on Writers on Craft, I'm talking to poet, editor, and bookseller David Abel. Welcome. Thank you. What first attracted you to poetry? That's a really interesting question. I started writing at least by the time I was, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old. I don't remember the first time that I wanted to write a poem, but I do recall the first poem that I went back to or that I saved or probably more likely my mother saved. And it was a response to the police riots at the 68 Chicago Convention. It was a a poem of outrage. Um, So I was 12 and saw this on television and was pretty unhappy about it. And so I, I, I wrote a poem, a political poem that I probably have somewhere. Interesting. Why did you choose poetry as a form to express your outrage? I, I don't know. I, I think I have always been very verbal. I started reading very early. I was reading before I went to school. With my parents' help, I sort of taught myself how to sound things out and, and to read. I was dying to read. And from that point on, I read everything that was within reach. Uh, my family wasn't a literary family. My parents were very much self-taught. But they were avid readers, so I had that model. But there was something else as well. I think it was a voraciousness about language. So could you talk a little bit about the process of writing a poem? How do you write a poem? Well, I I would have to begin by saying that I write a lot of different kinds of poems. And that was a very deliberate, at a certain point, a very deliberate choice that um, I was not interested in achieving a style, a kind of hallmark style or recognizable, what's often referred to as sort of voice in the workshop uh, kind of method. Um, But rather, I wanted to be able to write any kind of poem necessary to respond to whatever situation I was in. And I was also just curious about how different kinds of poetry worked. So I write uh, work that is very intuitive and very spontaneous and very much in response to concrete things in my immediate life and environment, and I write works that have nothing to do with that, that are works that use found material and rework and appropriate, or works that have an improvisational or performance kind of aspect, uh, works that are um, very formal and works that are not. So uh, so that is to say this, the situation changes. I do write longhand in a notebook on an ongoing basis, not every day, but on any given day I might. Uh, And so there are poems that come out of those kinds of uh, notations. But in addition to a poem that might begin with something I overhear or something I see or just just a moment of reflection, also in those notebooks are, uh, I might copy, I might be sitting in Powell's and copy down the marginalia that someone has written in a book and then use that as a beginning of of a response or a poem. I've deliberately made it so that a lot of different kinds of circumstances can lead to writing for me. Now, you are the literary coordinator and also a teacher of poetry at the Multnomah Arts Center. How do you teach poetry, and what do you teach? In teaching the poetry course that that I've been teaching for a few years there now, I really stress the interdependence and interaction of reading and writing. So it's called reading and writing poetry, and we spend as much time as a group, as readers, as we do as writers. And as I say in the description, there are two reasons for that. One is one finds all kinds of valuable uh, insights into tools and into ideas and inspiration, all of that, but you also develop empathy for the reader. 
So if you don't put yourself in the position of a reader trying to work their way through the challenges of, of a poem, then you're not going to really be bearing those kinds of considerations in mind as you're writing and especially as you're revising. So I really work on the revision process and the reading process both, almost as versions of one another, as ways to gain insight into the almost limitless ways that a poem can be structured and can achieve its effects. I try to basically model for people and help people become really good readers. So what's the hardest thing about writing a poem? Uh, the hardest thing. <laughs> um, I mean, you could say, you know, uh, letting go of it, you know, saying you're done with it. And then finding that you, you lied, you know. <laughs> That's the easy part is going back then, even though you said you're done. Um, I think I think one of the hardest things is, for me, and I can really only speak for myself, that I have a hard time accepting limitations. And so accepting, for instance, the fact that the poem can't follow all of its potential directions, it can't, but the reader or a range of readers, if, if you could imagine a poem actually continuing to unfold and become what it is, not simply it's already done and it's like a consumer exchange where now, now the, the reader owns a version of it, but if it actually finds multiple further lives in different people, that's a consolation. You're saying poem. that different readers may complete the poem in ways that you can't? I hope so. And that's how I, how I read. And that, that's the work that excites me, is the work that I feel my participation, uh, making something happen that isn't, again, just a kind of a, a repetition or reenactment of something that was already finished somewhere. It's, it, that's a, really a, an attitude or an orientation towards writing that's quite specific, that the reader is actively involved in creation. Yeah. And what's the hardest thing to teach about poetry? I think that um, most of the time people come to the circumstances, kind of this sort of returns to your initial questions. We come to the circumstance of writing uh, through, often through very strong feelings. And it's very difficult to simultaneously honor those but be detached enough to, to be a reader uh, of one's own work and be able to, to let it go somewhere. Again, I'm, my bias is I'm interested in the poem taking me somewhere I haven't already been rather than simply in a very skillful way uh, creating a picture of what I've already experienced. I admire that kind of work as well, but I, it's not what I'm interested in. So I really want, through the process of writing a poem, to learn something I didn't know before I started or get somewhere I didn't. So teaching people, again, sort of modeling and encouraging people to have detachment enough, uh, they can let the poem take them somewhere instead of controlling where the poem goes. For listeners just tuning in, this is Writers on Craft, and I'm talking with David Abel, a local poet, uh, editor, and bookseller. So David, I'm wondering if you would give us a taste of your own poems, maybe read us one of them. Yes, it'd be a pleasure. I thought I'd read first a series of short poems that forms the text of a, an artist book. And this was a, a book that was created in collaboration with the 
visual artist, Anna Daedalus, a local artist, and published by her, her and her husband, Leo Daedalus's disposable books. It's called Let Us Repair. Tessellation. Let us repair air. Embrace the rest, our rest. There's a shadow behind the eye or behind the seeing. Communion gap between shadows. Or we are the gap. That small and round, relatively speaking, waves in memory, comes to a full stop. Directions. We were stuck all day in the impera, at the impossibility of matkusta. All we wanted, the blood of a yuna. All they had, the air of a stasha. Wonder. At the speed of sound, the word for reaches. Soon turns the color you don't have to learn to see to love. Where you've been calls. A sinking lifts you don't answer. The dancer's feet anthropologize. Discontinuities mistaken for places. We take our places, watching her step. Dissolving world into world. Phrases cut together. Frames repopulate. Dreams we turn on ourselves. Out outside the open. What makes a good poem? Well, a good reading <laughs> experience of a poem. As I said before, uh, I'm really excited when I'm taken somewhere I haven't been before. And sometimes that can be a nuance of experience described by someone, just as in a conversation with someone, someone describing something they've experienced, and you're intrigued. And so there are certainly many poems that simply by the particularity of the experience they're conveying, uh, but it can also be in the actual way the language is used. I also uh, really like picking up something and I have no idea what it is the first time I read it. I'm just stymied. And, and then letting the poem teach me how to read it, letting, uh, doing a little work to figure out why the poet has made the choices they've made. Well, that raises an interesting question about context. Mm -hmm. How much do you need to be able to understand in order to understand the poem? That's a huge question. I mean, it's huge uh, beyond, it's, I, I sort of glibly say sometimes that, you know, every encounter is a cross-cultural encounter. You know, so we recognize these kind of thresholds of, but in fact, just the, the way in which each of us takes certain shared cultural uh, material, but interprets it and weds it and alters it through our unique experience means that every time we try to really come to an understanding beyond the kind of day-to-day -day consensus that allows us to actually negotiate uh, you know, actions or whatever, it takes a real effort to, to try to put together 
what the context is. And and you take you take a poem or you take a a painting or some other thing that's in some measure detached from its context. It it can be it can be quite a challenge to recreate enough of a context that you can feel comfortable that you're you're getting something, right? So that's part of the work of reading. And I think that one of the reasons that I'm really motivated to try to write in a range of different approaches and styles, and also I, I'm a very Catholic reader, and to read in a broad range is that my the possible contextual kind of approaches I can bring to my reading on a given occasion are, are, are wider. You know, I have more options. I, I often sit listening in a reading, and I, I rarely am asking myself, you know, is this good or is this not good or how good is it or do I like it or don't I? But I, I'm asking myself, well, what do I think they're actually doing? And what do I think they think they're actually doing? And is there a gap there? And and if so, what do I do with that? You know, and that's so interesting to, you would you would think in a way that we have a sort of a shared literary culture and that people writing a poem or reading a poem aloud, that we sort of know what they think it's supposed to do and supposed to be. But in fact, <laughs> I think that every time that's really quite a, a surprise and quite an interesting thing to try to understand. Can we learn anything from bad poetry? I think so. I mean, when I'm at readings, in some ways, of course, I like being, I like being uh, you know, carried away. But I also, it's so helpful to really kind of focus on trying to zero in on what about a given poem or a given approach to poem is dissatisfying to me. And it really tells me ultimately more about myself, about what it is I'm looking for. That's the other thing is I think reading is motivated. It's really useful to uncover, well, what's the motivation in reading? Because I'm motivated in a certain way, I'm just going to be blind to certain qualities of work. That doesn't make it bad. It just It's not useful to me. And 10 years later, I may come back to something that I dismissed and realize, oh, my God, you know, that was this is so useful, but I couldn't see it then. Right. So that's what I get from call it bad poetry, a poetry that I can't use is is helping me understand what what it is. And I, I want to throw in really quickly that this next uh, term at uh, the Multnomah Art Center, I'm going to be using a really wonderful book that I've discovered. Uh, it's an anthology by W.D. Snodgrass called D compositions. And what he's done is he's taken hundreds of well-known, famous, revered, valorized poems, and he's rewritten them and ruined them. And what he does is he, he takes a poem. Here's a Dylan Thomas poem, a Wallace Stevens poem with someone else. And then he writes another version or maybe even two versions that deliberately strip away or negate all the things that are excellent about the poem or that are extraordinary as a way of demonstrating how much more than simply, say, the paraphrase of the semantic meaning or the narrative makes the poem what it is. It's a, also a clue towards revision, because that's the heart of the part of writing we can talk about and teach, is revision. I think you can't teach the interest in language, the desire in language, curiosity. You can't teach the willingness to struggle with something that's unformed. You can't teach that. It's there or it's not. But you can teach a way of thinking uh, through revision that lets you realize potentials. Thank you. 
Thank you. For more information about David Abel's work, go to flim.com slash spare room. That's F-L-I-M dot com spare room. Or for various independent readings going on in Portland, you can go to portlandindependentreadingseries.com. This has been Writers on Craft, a show about writing and the creative process, produced by Cable Community Radio, 90.7 FM. For program notes or to listen to a podcast of this show, go to kabu.fm online or visit our website at www.writersoncraft.com.